0: Hello, and welcome to my office. Here's my really big Bible. I'm trying to look really spiritual. Am I pulling it off? Probably not, I'll tell you why. These are my 1980s glasses, the first pair of glasses I ever owned and I can't see a thing out of them. I do not have the vision for these glasses any longer. I have other glasses like these ones from the 1990s. No, no frame, you notice that? Do they look studious? Do I look spiritual now? Do I look like I've got vision? I, I cannot see those words there at all. Here's my glasses from the, night, from the early 2000s, okay? This is when I had to go to bifocals, and look what I get to wear now. Trifocals, I'm getting older. I still need to sometimes take them off in order to read and to get the vision correct. The scriptures say that without a vision, people perish. What's your vision for the future? What's our church's vision for the future? Is it God honoring? Let's talk about that. So, good morning, everyone. <laughs> what? What? Good morning to everyone here in the West and also those in the East again. So, maybe you're aware that uh, there's a funeral home in town that collects glasses for the needy, and I went by there this week and picked out a pair. <laughs> Which some of you really creeped out because you go, okay, was it off a of live buddy or a. I don't. I, the only problem I had with wearing these and trying these on today or bringing them into the worship setting was, the thought, what if they actually belong to your mother? So, <laughs> so again, it's good to have you with us today. And uh, um, we're, we're, I'm charged with a pretty intense responsibility this morning, a tall task. Uh, I need to bring you up to speed with God's vision for you and also God's vision for the church and where those two things might intersect. And, um... We all need to, if we will, land on the same page regardless of our our glasses prescription. And so I want to tell you straight up here this morning, the goal for today's message is to, um, to bring the current Thrive series to a close uh, through a discussion of vision. Uh, we're in the middle of a capital campaign, or I guess you could say we've kicked off a capital campaign, and this weekend is Commitment Weekend, and... Um, You know, there's always in the life of a church you go, how icky is this or is this really cool? Well, there's a bit of both, isn't there? It's great that a church has to think through things for the future and say, okay, this is really good stuff that's coming our way. And yet I'm always so aware that we have to go, okay, in order to fund that, we have to have a chat about all that. But before we get to that, I really would like to speak with you about vision today, about your personal vision, not what you see with your eyes or with or without the help of glasses. But I mean, what's your plan for the future? Ah. What do you envision that will happen in your life in the next few weeks, or maybe in, say, three or four months from now? or? What are you, what's your vision for two decades from now? And as we, as we look at what might be the best vision for each of us as individuals, then we'll see how that might intersect with the church's vision uh, later on in the message. So to just talk about and think about from a biblical perspective of vision today, we're going to, rather than take one passage and look at an exegetical, kind of peel it, peel it apart, we're going to look at a number of stories and passages today. And We're going to answer the question of what vision really should look like in our individual lives by um, starting with this idea. What are some things that vision should not include? What are the dynamics, if you will, of a poor vision? Um, And I would like to start by saying one of the first dynamics of a poor vision is one that is not forward thinking but rather one that is looking in the rearview mirror all the time. Bad vision is this, constantly looking over your shoulder at the past. All of us have things that have happened to us in the past, good and bad, and those things, with God's grace, can inform us, but also with God's grace. I've got really good news for you today. Your past, you're not doomed to repeat it. Uh, Because if you just only look backwards, it can lead you astray. Like There's a really interesting story in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 19. It's the story of a fellow by the name of Lot and the town where he lived in the ancient world. And uh, there are a number of details to the story that some of you may know. We'll pass on that for this morning. But in a nutshell, Lot and his family escape the city as it's about to burn. And they run from the city. It's called Sodom. And they run from the city at the break of dawn with the help of some angels from God. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 19. It'll be on the screens, friends. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry! Take your wife and your two daughters who are with you here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. And I guess he's thinking, well, I don't know if I want to do this. Do I really believe these angels? This city looks okay to me. What's going on here? But when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, this is the angel saying now. Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot's wife looks back. And it says she became a pillar of salt. I don't know how that happened or what that looked like. Apparently she's just stuck there. Looking back got her stuck. And friends, looking at the back, looking backwards all the time, will absolutely freeze you when it comes to moving forward. Because, friends, your past does not need to determine your future. You may have great things in the past. You may have bad things in the past. But you can let those wins and those losses inform you. But for a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got some really good news for you today. If you follow Jesus Christ, then his cross covers the past moments of all Christ believers. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ. It's called grace your past is not there in terms of... if It doesn't have to haunt you anymore. You don't have to be afraid of the past, okay? Here's another dynamic of a poor future vision. Another way in which we could describe poor vision is a poor, a poor vision focuses on temporary pleasure instead of a future beauty. And there's a story... Uh, Again, from uh, the the people of ancient Israel that I find fascinating and frankly disturbing in this regard. Long story short, about 3,500 years ago. So think about, okay, so Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. 1200 to 1500 years before that, okay, the people of Israel were moving into, they'd they'd been slaves in Egypt, they leave Egypt, they arrive in the promised land, and as they arrive in the promised land, they're now numbering about a million people, they were former slaves, they've now become very strong when it comes to military, and so they're used to having these sort of battles as they move from place to place, as they're claiming the land, and they get into a, what they think is going to be a b- very brief military spat with a neighboring tribe. And they really didn't pay a lot of f- attention to it because they've done, had lots of these moments and they, with God's help, they just kind of win every time. Well, in this particular case, they go out to battle, just a small group. Thirty-six men were killed and they're stunned. The, the nation is stunned. What do you mean? Thirty-six of our guys were killed? How did that happen? We always win these types of things. And where was God? Did God leave us? Comes to find, come to find out God's hand of protection had indeed been taken away from them. And for what reason? Well, in the battle prior, there had been a, a situation that God had said to all the soldiers, don't take any of the spoils. Take no plunder. But one guy, one soldier, regular dude, if you will, family, family doing his responsibilities for his, for his country. Gabon of Achan, he sees everything that's left over from the battle and he's smitten by the spoils. There's money, some gold, he took that. But you know what really caught his attention? There was this fancy robe, this beautiful robe that had been made in Babylon. And, and you kind of know what I mean. We, we, I mean, I, I don't know what a robe from Babylon of that time, how you would declare it to be fancy, but I know what a, a fine tailored suit from Italy looks like, and the texture and the cloth, and it's made to fit like a glove, and you know, a man or woman who puts on that clothing, they go uptown, and they're going, man, I am feeling it today. I am just looking good. And you may not say it, but inside you're feeling it, right? Well, that's what this guy, man, this robe, and he took it, It was a capital crime. It was a capital crime to let his nation be exposed in that way, and it led to his death. His life was over. His short-sighted vision for immediate pleasure brought about his death. Now, who are we kidding? We all like nice things, don't we? Uh, This this business of of looking at nice things goes back to the Garden of Eden. I'm, I'm mindful of Eve in this regard. Do you, do you think that the, the forbidden fruit that she ate was ugly looking? Probably not. I mean, did it taste awful? I mean, did she bite into it and say, Oh, Adam, since I love you so much, honey, and this tastes so awful, you want to bite of this? Probably not. There was something attractive about it. And yet it led to her death, didn't it? It led to the death of humanity in the sense that we now all die. Now, I'm, I want you to hear clearly, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the good things of life aren't good. It's lovely to have the comforts of Western culture. It's lovely to live on this side of the industrial revolution, to live on this side of the technological revolution. But if the extent of your vision is simply to have some really cool things now for the, for the sake of beauty in the future and for, for stalling the sake of the beauty of the future, then there's a problem. If your goal is simply to own the next iPhone when it's released or to have the biggest house in the neighborhood or to have the next great car, then I would suggest, friend, your vision needs some attention. Sure, it's appropriate to strive for those comforts by all means, but Scripture calls us, friends, to a future vision beyond creature comforts. Looking at the past or just grabbing for something that's really pretty right now is not a great goal. But instead, the Bible is very clear about what kind of goals and what sort of vision we should have as individuals. So with that in mind, let me give you just a brief list of what sort of, what sort of dynamics are involved in a good vision. First of all, if you want to have vision that says, man, I, I, want, I want to do something that's really important in the future and really want to plan for the future, then, then you have to start by saying, my vision needs to be involving God-honoring life approaches. Is everything I'm going to do going to honor God? Now, I can, I can tell you that I, I don't always know exactly what's best going forward. Uh, I don't know what's always best for my life moving forward. I, I certainly don't know what's always best for my, our family's life. And I particularly don't know what's always best for the life of our church. And many of you, or I myself, could point to countless times when my foresight would be characterized as no sight. You know, I don't know, what do you think, sort of thing. You know, you you, you get that from time to time, but I'm certain of this. I'm certain that my goal in life is that in all actions, with God's help, may all my actions be focused on honoring God. See, Scripture talks about this. The psalmist so now we're at Thomas David, some 3,000 years ago, right? This is what he said. He figured this much out. He said, "I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears." In other words, I, I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the places where fear might take over. When looking back might paralyze me or cause me to be, if you will, the proverbial pillar of salt. And I look back and I can see that those assignments that I had there, some of them, if not all of them that were bad, they were assigned to me from the depths of hell. But now as Jesus' work is growing within me, I can look to God and I can say the shame of the past is removed. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears, the things in the past. And now, as I look forward, what am I going to do? Those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. See, friends, I can speak for myself on this. Just a personal declaration in a way that I hope is honest and transparent. In that I choose to look for God in every future decisions. And every, every, anyone that comes my way, I'm saying, man, am I honoring God in this? And, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then that shouldn't be unique to me. And I know it's not unique. Many of us in the room today, many of us here today, we say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is my Savior. He is my, he's forgiven my sins, so consequently, He's my Lord, He's my leader. And now, I serve Him when, how, and wherever God chooses because he's in charge, not me. I want to honor my life, honor God with every action of my life, I should say. I look to him knowing that sh- if I can do that, then I don't have to worry about whether or not shame will be in my future because I'm striving to do all I can to honor God with my entire being. So the first thing in terms of a future vision that you have to think about is, is, is every decision has, a, has a, at its base a goal to honor God. Here's a second one that these intentional decisions that we have then about the future and about our vision, they need to seek the daily direction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, a vision for a long-term God-honoring life requires, okay, so that's where I'm going long-term, but to get there, I'm going to take a lot of steps, and each step along the way is going to be a step that's, if you will, guided and directed, and I've got the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you go, okay, I don't know what that means. What do you mean the Holy Spirit? I mean, and when does the, whole, does the Holy Spirit talk to you at all times, Wayne? Well, there are moments when you go, okay, I, I don't need the Holy Spirit to um, speak to me if I'm stuck, come up to a green light, and I go forward and there's traffic still coming because they still got green. Common sense says I shouldn't move forward, right? Or if I'm stuck in the middle of that intersection and the car dies, and I, you know, common sense says, I don't need the Holy Spirit to say, you better get out of the car quickly, or else just get, I mean, common sense sometimes can be very, very helpful, of course. But on the other hand, I have to acknowledge, and you would too, there are moments each day. Moments at work, moments perhaps at the house, at school, where you go, I don't know how to respond to this. What should I do next? And a Christ follower says, in the long run, I want, to work, I want to honor God, but the way in which I honor God in the long run is to make a step today that says, okay, what would the Holy Spirit, if I, Lord, what would you have me do about this situation today? And how do you know how to answer that? How's that best displayed? Well, in that regard then, this vision of honoring God and making these daily decisions that are appropriate and, and, and Holy Spirit-led What's the, what's the criteria for that? Well, those decisions are best displayed when, they are, when we move into people-centered actions. In the midst of a decision, what's going to honor God? How is this going to be paying attention to the Holy Spirit? And is this going to be good for the people around me? In many ways, that's the focus of this present capital campaign, Thrive. Thrive. We are charged with the responsibility as individuals to follow Jesus, and also we are charged with that same responsibility as a church, to serve Jesus Christ, to honor God at the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the primary way we we accomplish that is to focus on the needs of people. And that means here at First Christian Church, we are constantly changing. We never change the message. Our message is that people need to know Jesus Christ. They're headed to hell otherwise. That's our message. Pretty rough, pretty harsh straight up those what scripture says but the way in which we deliver that and the, the way in which that message um is brought to people has to change constantly for example um we we have a lot of little people here in the life of our church when i say little people in in the nursery each weekend there are more than 120 children usually under the age of five aren't you glad you're in charge of that oh you're not in charge of that aren't you oh, you No. Know. And then if you go up to the elementary age, there's more than that each weekend. And so with that comes ways in which we have to care for those little ones and care for their parents. And so I want you to watch um, some new approaches that we're going to take in regards to caring for those kids. And uh, you'll, you'll catch a hold of this as
1: you watch the screen. Here at First Kids, the security of your children is important to us. And it just got better. Introducing the First Kids Fortress 3000. We have created this instructional video to show you what is needed for you to register your child to be an official new member in our First Kids Fortress 3000 system. You can do this in six easy steps. One, come to the First Kids Lobby and sign a few forms. Two, create a 55 digit pin to use at the beginning of check-in. Three, once you enter the 55-digit pin, then place your eye in the scanner. Four, pledge to pick up your children within 80 days of drop-off. Five, get an extra copy of the security tag tattooed on your forearm. This will ensure that if you lose the tag, everything will be okay. Six, learn the secret handshake from our trusted First Kids security team. Thank you for registering your child with First Kids Fortress 3000. It's safe, secure and truly one of a kind. Some
0: of you, I'm watching some of you go, some of you think we're being serious. It's a joke. No, uh, seriously, we, we are always evaluating. Of course, we're not doing that, but we're always evaluating. How, how are we caring for little ones? How are we caring for teens? How are we caring for our, the folk in our congregation that we consider to be our senior saints? So that, And then, frankly, how are we caring for people in the community and around the world? And so, um, we've learned that this church will always take responsibility for the care of people, regardless of their age, young and old. Why is that? Because we engage in people-centered actions. And isn't that what Jesus did? If you think about it, what did he do? He came to honor God. He honored God by coming to earth. He daily moved in step with God's spirit, going where God told him to go and what God instructed him to do. And what was the focus of his ministry? The focus of his ministry was serving people. And the story about church in that regard, when it comes to our vision, is very similar. It's the same for us as individuals. We strive to honor God with each step we make, seeking daily direction from the Holy Spirit, and then let that play out through the ways in which we care for people. And so if you think about all the things we do, I work in Kenya and Cuba. We've got kids and we've got a group of more than 20 people going to Kenya in just in a couple of weeks, to Cuba, pardon me. And uh, our goal there is to center on, the, on how people's lives can be changed there in Cuba. Or um, I work in this community, You know, how we manage what we've got going on here and uh, the various ways in which, you know, in the block area or in the hospitals or uh, at the school, whatever the case, ways in which we are caring for people. Here's what, remember, here's what, what has been the crucial part of our congregation's story and message for a long time now. And when I say a long time, this church is more than 180 years old. And that's this. We want people to know that Jesus died for them that their past is over, and that through Jesus Christ, they can receive new life. And for decades, for more than 180 years now, we've worked on that. And this church has loved people. We've we've loved together. Sometimes we've argued together. We've served together. We've prayed together. We've toiled, labored, and we've operated together with with this in mind, that others would thrive in Jesus Christ. And we've raised money for the same reason, with a vision focused on how can we impact people, not only ourselves. It's not about us, but it's about who can we tell about Jesus Christ. And um, as we've done that over the years, we've done our best to make certain the funds that our church receives, uh, that those come with good stewardship and that we use them very wisely. For example, you may not be aware of this, but um, about 10 years ago, about 2006, well, more than 10, 12 years or so ago now, the leadership team of the church began to think, okay, we, are ten, we moved into this building in 1996, and now we are 10 years in, 2006 or so, and we're wondering, okay, so what at 10, at 10 years is still working, but what in another 10 years might need some major care? And one of the things that we were aware of, the life of the roof, we told was, we were told was 20 to 25 years, and so we thought, man, that's a lot of roof to replace, In 10 years from now, what are we going to do? And so we began setting aside funds on a monthly basis. And sure enough, at 2006, 20 years after we moved in, it was apparent that the major roof portion of the the church that we built in 1996 needed to be replaced. 34,000 square feet of roofing needed to be replaced. And we had bids come in, and the bid came in at $80,000. How about you? I don't know about you, but an $80,000 bid on a new roof is a lot of money. But you know what? by God's grace, in years previously, back in, in, in 2006, we began planning and setting that money aside. So most of the congregation was unaware that we did worship one weekend, and a huge team of roofers showed up Monday morning. I think there were about 30 guys up on the roof at one point, and the whole roof was done within a week. And by, and, you know, so everybody came back to worship the next week, and oh, isn't that lovely? There's It looks exactly like it did before. Well, it didn't actually (laughs) because you're not looking at the roof. You're not paying attention to that. But the sense from those of us who are in the leadership team, it was a whole lot better to do it that way than to come to you in 2016 and say, hey, we've made no planning. We had no expectation that we'd need a new roof this year and please cough up $80,000. I mean, it it made more sense to say, let's plan for this and work it correctly. And so in the same way, for the future this campaign is to help our congregation continue to be folk people focused in ministry i mean you go what's the roof got to do with people well if it had caved in it would have been a problem right so we're trying to think how can we manage our life together well moving forward as well as take care of the congregations that look to us for leadership Um, and maybe you're familiar that we are now asked to lead disciple heritage fellowship it's so a group of more than 70 uh, congregations around the nation with one in Canada, and they look to us to lead them and to help them thrive as well. And so I've been given some thought to this since this arrived on my desk in January. How could we help these other congregations thrive? Um, here's an idea. Working it out. I, we, we haven't got all the details yet, but here's something you might think about. You are aware of the Tell Me More campaign that we did last fall where we said let's get a bunch of churches together and we'll all preach similar messages and we'll do video curriculum for all their sunday school classes and small groups and we that that would have been followed up the year before that we did uh finding your way back to god the year before that we did room for doubt and this has kind of grown every year to where um, we now have had 35 congregations across the community say hey When you guys do that, we want to join with you and so that we can, if you will, leverage the talk around town about that. And, you know, that is, um, it's a community effort. I want you to hear that clearly. Uh, We've got another one scheduled this fall. And we're all working together on it. But the idea was birthed in this building. And um, I don't know how to say this the right way. We do what we can to help the other churches as they help us, if we can put it that way. And That's good. That's cool because Scripture tells us that to whom much is given, much is expected. And so we've been given a lot. We have great people on staff. We have a lot of lay people with really great talents. And so as those are needed by other congregations, we say, hey, to whom much is given, much is expected. So since we have a lot, then we'll share it with other churches. And I just have this idea. Since it's been so successful here in Decatur, and we now have 71 communities around the country, What if we were to ask those 71 churches, do you want to do it with us? And could you get two or three churches in your community to join us? It's not branded First Christian Church, inappropriately. That wouldn't be right. You know, let's let's have you do it over there and we'll help you. So we've got to take care of, if you will, this thinking moving forward. Responsibilities in this building, yes. Absolutely. The campaign is to take care of responsibilities in this building and also to think of these churches around the country. And so you have in your hand today, either in the bulletin you got as you came into worship, or here in the west, there's there's a card that looks like this in the pew rack in front of you. In the east, there's one on the chairs. And uh, I want to look at this with you. And I want you to see if you can find something on it that doesn't look right immediately, okay? There's something that doesn't look right on it. What would it be? The word commitment, what's wrong with that? You think it's misspelled, right? Here's an idea, it is misspelled, but there are three reasons why we might have misspelled it. One might be just to make you look at it and realize what it is. The second one might be that that's the way I grew up spelling it in Australia. Or the third idea might be that it was just an error we made and it was good stewardship to not reprint them. (laughs) Which one do you think it is? (laughs) Number three, you are all so trustful of who we are, right? Yeah, so notice there's a misspelling, but apart from that, okay, now that we're all aware of that, we look on the left-hand side. That's where we would ask you to give us your data. In a few moments, we're going to fill these out together. Don't do it yet, if you don't mind. But um, that's where we would ask you to give us the details. And then... um, There are two ways in which you can give to the Thrive campaign today. One would be to, first of all, to give a special one-time offering. Okay, that's in the upper right-hand side. And if you would uh, like to fill that out, you could do that. And we're gonna take an offering in just a minute. At the end of the service, it's gonna be both the regular offering and we're gonna ask you to include these cards. And then the second one would be uh, if you would like to make a commitment between now and over an 18-month period, sometime between now and December. I know that's more than 18 months, but we want you to think in an 18-month period. So if you start now, obviously you'll be finished before December. If you wanna start in July, that'll get you through December of um, 2019, all right? So if you would put, uh, if, if you would like to commit $100 to thrive over, the, over a period of 18 months, then that means in 18 months you're going to give, think some math, $1,800. If you want to put in the figure $100,000 per month, I would love to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you'll get, you get the idea, all right? So we'll collect these in just a few moments. For those who are following online, I want to be careful to make certain that those who are following online have an option as well. If you will go to the church's website, firstdecator.org, and then type in, the, put in a slash, firstdecator.org slash give, you'll get to a place where you'll see ways in which to give, and then you can look for a tag. Um, there's a Thrive button. As you uh, do a pop down there, you'll, or, and, uh, you'll be able to find a way in which you can give online. But before we fill this out, I I do want to just point out one more scripture uh, that in many ways to me is the framework of what we're doing here today. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about how we should use our resources. It says this, since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing. I mean, we really want to see how God's going to work in us and through us. Why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone in the church? And that's our plan. In the last few weeks, you've heard how we want to use the funds that come in to uh, deal with the church's debt and then to help other congregations to thrive. And I'm aware that this is a tall order and it's a big goal and we need both large and small gifts. But in the spirit of pledging here today, I want you to be very mindful that on behalf of the leaders of our church, I pledge that we will use your funds with great care in God-honoring ways. And together we will seek the Holy Spirit's guidance daily to use your gifts appropriately as we focus on the needs of people in our community and in congregations all across the nation. And I'm quite aware that um, for some people, this is kind of, whoa, I didn't know I was coming to church to do this today. I I get that. Or man, I've never been part of a giving campaign at all. I don't even tithe or I don't give. Well, may I suggest that this might be a way in which you could step into some of that and just take a look and prayerfully ask about how maybe your world could change and how your financial world could change and how you just do things a little bit different. I I came across a story recently that has um, really piqued my interest in this regard. Bayer aspirin, okay, you What's Bayer Aspirin got to do with the Thrive campaign? Well, some of us can recall in days gone by when you got a bottle of aspirin or a bottle of pills, there was always something stuck in the very top of it. What was it? Cotton, right? In Australia, we used to call it cotton wool, cotton wool. And um, it was always in there. Now, it had a very specific reason why it was there. In the early days when manufacturers, particularly Bayer, was manufacturing aspirin, aspirin is a soft product, and there was no coating on those pills. And if they were to shake up, and be you know have any kind of shaking motion during transportation they would literally collide with one another and this and break down and so when you open up the pill box you wouldn't get a pill you'd get a bunch of powder and so so they thought we have to put something in there that's going to cause those pills to remain firm and, and hold together and so they would fill it full of cotton well many years later they developed a um, a coating for those pills that they could you could shake them all you want and they're not going to bang against each other and break down. But because of the perception that you, when you open up a pill bottle, you, should, you should, pill should have cotton in the top, they kept putting cotton in there to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Until in 1999, they were doing some studies and they realized putting the cotton in the, in the top of the pill box was actually dangerous. Because as those pills were being transported from one nation to another or across the country, if, it went, if the pill boxes went through a place where, it was, where there was moisture, what does cotton do? It would attract the moisture was actually dripping water onto the pills. So they had to take the, the cotton out of there and they thought there's going to be this big cry from the nation and everything. And one lady wrote in and she was complaining that she was going to have to go buy cotton balls now to get her fingernail polish off. <laughs> I don't think they... Well, good luck on that lady. It was, I think it was her idea. Go for it. But uh, it, it struck me uh, they had to make some some decisions that not everybody understood at the time that were right for the situation at the moment. And I would suggest, friends, that for some of us in the room, when it comes to this matter of giving and being generous, today would be the day that you might want to make some significant changes, as difficult as they may be. And it, but they are important. They're important to see what God's going to do in you and through you in the days ahead. So, before we fill it out, let's pray together, okay? God, I'm aware that... Um, these uh, capital campaigns that we do here come up every three or four years, and uh, as a congregation, we go, "Okay, we got to do this," and we we understand how it works. And Lord, we want to be people of maturity. We we don't want to be um, want to be afraid of these sorts of days or uh, look upon them with dread. Instead, we want to see these moments, Lord, as opportunities where you can move in us and through us. God, there are people. There are people here today who are, you're calling them to some significant action. I pray, Lord, that you would help them do that. Lord, you're calling all of us to be people of, of generosity. Lord, as we contemplate what we're going to give over the next 18 months or so, we're asking God that you would give us great wisdom and great courage. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So what's gonna happen now in both rooms, friends, is we're gonna give you a moment or two to fill out those cards. And then the offering will be taken in both rooms. Um, If you're in the east, there's some people moving around with some baskets of pens right now, if you need a a pen or an envelope. And uh, here here in the west, there are pens in the pew rack in front of you to fill them out. And then, in a few moments, the worship team will come and lead us. And once the offering is taken, both, so this offering is for both the regular tithes and offerings, plus these cards. Um, They'll instruct us when to stand in both rooms and we'll see what God does in our life together. The Lord bless you today.